Hello, everyone, and welcome to My Mental Health Matters. It's a show focused on the mental health and wellness of our caregiver community. Providence is working to fill the gaps in education, resources, and services available to our caregivers when it comes to our mental health and to provide a helping hand when roles are reversed and our caregivers are the ones in need of care. The My Mental Health Matters program is highlighting the need for professionals in the medical field to have the tools to overcome mental health challenges, recognize that need in their coworkers, and create a working environment of support and mental wellness. Well, here with me today is Anna Wynn, the Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist for Providence St. Joseph Health. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, today we're really talking about caregiver mental health. And, you know, for those who don't know, at Providence, we call our employees caregivers. Um, And, you know, we as a system have made a huge commitment to mental health when it comes to the communities and the patients we serve. But we also have made this big investment into mental health in our caregivers because we like to start at home. Um, So I know that you do work in this space and you work with a lot of people, um, both, you know, your coworkers as well as external people. So talk a little bit about what you do with Providence. So I, like you said, I'm a licensed marriage family therapist, and I provide mental health services in a primary care setting. So the, the whole goal of it was to integrate mental health and a primary care to, to have more possible, um, a speedier process for patients to be able to get mental health services. Normally in the community, it takes about two to three months sometimes to get connected with somebody. So in my setting, we have primary care physicians that send referrals to me and I get to see them within a week or two. So it just speeds up the process to get their care going a lot faster. And when you say the community, you mean the community at large, correct? Not just the Asian American Pacific Islander community? Yes, correct. The community at large. Okay. But you do spe- kind of specialize in that cultural aspect of Asian American and Pacific Islander, yes? That's correct. Okay. Okay. So before we dig in kind of on the cultural aspects, because I definitely want to pick your brain on that, and I know I'm super excited for that part. Let's talk a little bit, though, about why there seems to be such an increase in the need for mental health and people struggling with anxiety and depression and substance abuse. Um, right now, those people who work in healthcare are seeing a dramatic increase. What do you think's causing that? I mean, obviously, we have a pandemic, but let's talk about it, right? I think a big part of it, too. So mental health, things like anxiety, depression, it's always been in existence. I think a big part of it, just the, the past um, 30, 40 years, there's been more of talk about it. So I think just in the past, especially the past 10, 20 years, people have been identifying symptoms a little better. I think for everyone experienced, no one really talked about it. No one really knew what it was and no one can really put um, a label on it just to be able to help identify. I think more so, especially as people are talking about it a little more, now we know, um, you know, when you have nausea or worry thoughts, or if you have shortness of breath, sometimes that's anxiety. Before, I think, I think it was just kind of brushed off. I think especially for caregivers, you know, I, I 100%, I think caregivers are heroes. But I also think heroes get tired. And I think, you know, we're all human. And so it's so important to make sure that we're not giving from an empty well, that we're taking time to replenish. And I think a big part of it is, you know, if we're really thinking about, like you said, the pandemic, you know, we've all got concerns about our health, our family, finances, our job. It all starts to stack up. But when caregivers go to work, they put that aside. And I think when they're ready to pick it back up, it's still there, if not stacked up even more. So I think it's, it's harder on caregivers 100%. 
because you know you're you're trying to give so much and it's so important to take the time to make sure that you're also taking care of yourself too. Very wise words, very wise words. I I know that you know with this my mental health matters program which obviously Providence is doing for caregivers there's there's a lot of different components to it. What are kind of the the areas that you really think are are that stand out the most to you that, that you think is something that is really impactful that Providence is doing? I think the the components that really stand out to me are one, not only do you get education on some of these things, I think it's education from the right source. So we're not just Googling it, we're not just going on WebMD, we're getting information from clinicians, we're getting it from the right source. I think a big part of it too, you access the screening. So I think it becomes much more individualized to kind of say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. Is this what I think it is? And you to kind of direct feedback from clinicians. And I think it also ties into treatment, being able to access that. It's so incredibly difficult to get treatment. A lot of times going through the referral process, they kind of getting initiated, and there's a lot of fear and anxiety related to it. So I think a big part of it, too, is just that, you know, it helps create this cohesive place to be able to get all the services that you need. You mentioned the checkup, and, you know, I think it's really impressive that this this kind of mental health checkup exists because, you know, so many of us are used to going to our primary care physician for an annual exam or for a mammogram or, you know, your, your cholesterol screening once a year, but we don't necessarily do this kind of mental health checkup once a year. And this, this service is really offering that. Tell me why you think this kind of check-in is so important. I think it's important because there's so much emphasized on our physical health. Like you said, we go to annual exams and procedures to make sure everything okay. We have our blood pressure taken to make sure it's within the range it needs to be. And I think it's it's really difficult to measure what's going on on the inside. And I think that's the hardest part because anyone can easily share, you know, I have a broken leg and this is what I'm going to do and it's going to heal and we have a frame of reference for it. It's so different to say, you know, I'm struggling with depression. It's kind of ambiguous and people are not used to having that conversation. So they start to tiptoe around it as well. I think it's harder to measure what's going on on the inside as opposed to the outside. But through the screening tools, you know, it is measurable what's going on on the inside. We just have to be open to talking about it. And the clinicians will give us feedback and they'll give us an idea of what's really going on. And very similarly to getting your blood pressure taken, you know, there is a range and it's helpful to know whether you're in it, which direction you're headed in and where you want to be. I think it's important that you, you mentioned that kind of that it's, you know, it's this overall assessment, but it's where we need to be. And, and the thing I think is important too, is that it is confidential, right? So you're taking the survey, you're figuring out kind of how you're feeling, but then what's so awesome to me is that then based on how you're feeling is is what you get served as a result, right? So if you're not experiencing any of these things, maybe you just get the, here's some work to be well resources for yoga, breathing, meditation. If you're, you know, in the middle, maybe it's telespiritual health, but if it's on the border and you're really stressed out and you're coping and you're having these, you're not coping and you're having these crazy issues, you're actually getting a one-on-one kind of visit from a care provider I don't, I've never heard of anybody else doing that. So do you think that's something that, that people need to be aware of and, and, and should take advantage of? Absolutely. I think it's, so, it's such a rare opportunity to be able to have all of that access. I think a lot of the times I get this feedback a lot where, you know, you could be going through an experience and you have no idea what's going on. And I think once you go through this process, you identify what it is and that there's a solution for it there's treatment for it. It's so relieving. So I think a big part of it too is that it can just help 
you understand what's going on. Because I think the idea is when we struggle with some of these things, if we avoid them, they get worse. But if we lean into it, we understand it. We understand what the emotions are trying to communicate to us. We translate it and we give ourselves what we need. It gets us a lot closer to where we want to be. It's so true because we don't necessarily know. I mean, we, we kind of know the signs and symptoms of a cold or a flu, but we don't know anxiety, right? And, and if we don't have an answer, like if I know I have a cold or I have bronchitis, then I feel like, okay, well, this is conquerable. If I don't know what I have, I'm just terrified. Exactly. And imagine going through a panic attack where your, your chest hurts, you can't breathe, and your hands are tingling, and you're dizzy, and you don't know what that is. That's really terrifying. And that's what brings a lot of people into the ER. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, you talked earlier kind of about we need to talk about it, we need to share about it, we need to do these assessments to figure out what our issue is. I think one of the things we're running into, though, right, is there's still some stigma around it, and there's definitely cultural stigma. So how is it, or what is it, what do we do to get people and encourage them to do this? Because it is such a vital thing that needs to happen, but there is still this fear of doing it. Yeah, I think a big part of it it, I think it starts a lot with, I think, guilt and shame. And guilt, from what we know, is you know more targeted towards our actions and our behaviors. So I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. And I think just through norms and narrative of society, it's kind of turned into that mental health stigma is really associated with the shame. And it's not so much a feeling like I am struggling with depression. Sometimes it feels like I am the depression. And I think sometimes um, there's fear of judgment and there's fear of how people will perceive us if they will look at us differently. And I think it really starts with having this conversation every single day with people that we really care about, making it as normal as possible. Kind of like how normal it is to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with a cold today. And you can also say, hey, I'm just not feeling well today. I think even in the work environment, it's so much more socially acceptable to take a day off if you're not feeling well physically. You know, if, you're, if you've got the flu, you should stay home. But a lot of times, if you are not feeling well emotionally, that's not looked as, as serious as something physical. So I think a big part of it is it needs to be really almost as equal as some of the physical medical things going on because the mind-body connection is so strong. If one goes, we have, like we all go. It's true, right? You have to have emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being, I, I think, at least. And you know, it's it's interesting because if you say you have cancer, people feel sorry for you. If you say you have depression or anxiety, people are like, mm, I don't know, right? I mean, I yeah. think it's getting better, but it is still kind of this fear of the unknown or, or just not understanding things. Talk to me a little bit, though, about the AAPI community, because we know that there is still kind of some taboo or, you know, stigma associated with mental health and talking about it. So how, how do you approach that when you have caregivers that are in that community? I think a big fear um, of the AAPI community is that therapy is going to take away values of theirs. And that's kind of the opposite of what we're trying to do. And, you know, the AAPI community is so strength based in terms of family and everything an individual does reflects on the family and the generations before them. So they're carrying a lot. And I think a big part of it, too, there's sometimes people start to minimize, maybe it's not that bad. Um, sometimes when they start to seek help is when the family starts to become too strained or there has been um, a concern for the family members overall that have kind of come together. But I think it's really tough because, you know, emotions are not really talked about. Um, 
and a lot of times they will manifest in physical symptoms. So it's more likely to have um, someone in the AAPI community say, you know, I'm experiencing shortness of breath, nausea, I'm dizzy. And instead of saying, you know, I have this really big event in my life that's coming up. And so it's also very solution focused. I'm dizzy. What can I get to make it feel better? Right, right. If it's emotional, you really have to talk about some of the emotional things that are going on. And again, we're not trying to take away values. I think we're just trying to add to them so that, you know, the family as a system as a whole is still intact. And that's still the most important thing. And I think what we want to do is just make sure that every person within that family is in good mental and, mental and physical health. Well, I think it's important that you kind of talk about the whole family unit, because I know when Providence talks about kind of my mental health matters and your mental health matters, a lot of it is talking about you personally, right? How does Anna feel today? But then it might be, hey, Anna, have you checked on Mary today, right? And then it might be, hey, how is your family doing? So when you talk with people about kind of this My Mental Health Matters program, are you sharing kind of the fact that it's all encompassing? It's not just for you one-on-one, but it's kind of for the, the larger network that you serve within? Yeah, I think the the more of a systemic view that we can have on it, I think the better. I always kind of think of it as the ripple effect where I'm working on my mental health to get better. And what that does is when I go home to my family, my family will pick up on some of these things, even if I don't know about it. And in a turn, will create a healthier family. And then the family will go out into the community and we start to create healthier communities through this. So I always think about it as a ripple effect that even though by working on your individual mental health, it creates this real effect to impact so many other people close to you. Even if it's not directly, people start to notice the changes. People start to pick up on some of the things that you're doing differently. And it's so important that way too, I think. When we think about the systemic picture of it, we think about who it starts with. And it really starts with us getting our mental health checked and it starts with us doing everything we can to make sure we're healthy mentally, physically, spiritually. Well, knowing that you you know work within the, the API community, do you feel, and I hear this a lot with Latinos and African-Americans, like it's hard for me to relate to a, a behavioral health therapist who doesn't look like me, who didn't grow up like me. So do you find that people relate a little bit better to you, even, even if you didn't grow up exactly the same way, but the thought that you maybe understand it better? I think um, I think it's half half. I think on some level, it's really comforting. You know, it's comforting to see someone similar to you. I think it's really um, comforting when you are in a different place when you're doing something different. It's it's really kind of like that safety blanket. I think on the other hand, even though I could come from the same culture, no two people really have the exact same experiences. And I think that's where the beauty of therapy really starts to evolve because that's where, you know, the curious mind comes in where I really want to know, even though we, we look similarly, we don't have the same experiences. And I still want to know, I want to hear about it and I want to help. Well, since we talked a little bit about stigma, I think it's only fair that we break the stigma and ask you the question, have you worried about your own mental health? Have you taken steps to make sure that your mental health is a priority? Oh, 100%. You know, I, I never prescribe any advice that I would never do myself because I, I, I just wouldn't, I think it's, um, it would do all of my work um, to disservice if I were not to be able to do that myself. And I think a big part of it too is truly I can't give from an empty well. So I always have to take time to make sure that it is replenished. And I think part of it is making sure I know where I'm at. I always use a scaling system. So from one to 10, 
10 is the highest your stress levels or anxiety can be. What does one through 10 all look like? What am I like when I'm at a two, a four, a six? And what do I need when I'm at those levels? So I think it's helpful to for me to gauge, you know, today, maybe I'm at a three. And today at a three, maybe I just need to take a walk and I'm good. On some days, maybe I'm at a seven, a little higher. And then so it gives me um, the exact roadmap to my stress levels and what I need for myself. So let's let's do a little free therapy here for a second. Let's say I'm a coworker of yours. I'm a fellow caregiver, and I am feeling very anxious. And I don't know that it's anxiety, but I'm just I'm I'm at a seven today, right? And I came to you and said, I'm just I'm not quite myself. I'm feeling at a seven. What should I do? What would you tell them? Well, what are you experiencing? Oh, like let's start with the assessment, right? So I'm for for the sake of this one, let's just say my heart's racing. I'm just, I'm not, I don't feel like myself. I'm not, I'm not really sick. I'm not sweating or anything. I just feel like there's a lot going on and I'm not sure I can cope with it today. I would say, you know, let's, let's grab a cup of cold water. Let's grab some ice. Let's step outside. Let's get some fresh air. And I ask that in the beginning, because a lot of times if we're having physical symptoms of anxiety, it's helpful to have a physical solution to it. If we're experiencing mental symptoms of anxiety, like our, we can't stop thinking, our mind is ruminating, it's running, and we start to do things to help, that will help distract ourselves for a little bit to reduce the intensity. I think a big part of it too is, you know, we just want to be as supportive as possible, no judgment, whatever it is that you talk about. It's nothing I haven't heard before. And I think a big part of it is, you know, that's okay. Just like if, if you were telling me you have the sniffles from the cold, I'd grab you some tissues. You know, if you are experiencing some some nausea or you're having a hard time breathing, shortness of breath, and it's not anything medical, you know, let's take a step outside. So it's it's very um, neutralizing to be able to say that. Well, in furthering the stigma reduction, are you going to do the mental health checkup personally, Anna? Yeah, I think everything that, every opportunity, you know, I think we all get just to make sure that we are checking in with ourselves you know, I will take all of it because I think, and I will share all of it with all of my family and friends because I think it's so important. And I think that's part of the narrative that we start to create to normalize it. Because I would be such a hypocrite if I said, you know, I'm not going to take it myself, but you should. I think a big part of it too is I'm going to take it and I'm going to share it with all of my family and friends because I love them and I want them to be well. Well, speaking of family and friends and being well, um, you know, one of the features within the, the My Mental Health Matters is access to work to be well, which is Providence program for mostly for youth, but for also for people who interact with youth and, you know, what signs to look for, how to start a conversation. Are there any other programs in the My Mental Health kind of over, I don't know, overarching umbrella that really excite you? I think just just the fact um some of these programs are offering things that were never offered 10 years ago, 20 years ago, which just really excite me in general. I am really excited to see how they evolve and where they go, participation in it, the benefit that people start to get from it. I don't know if there's something specifically that I'm really excited about, but I'm just really excited that, you know, for the first time, and I feel like a long time, there's a lot of light that's being um, shined on mental health. And I think it's much needed. And I think a big part of it too is I'm just really excited for the outcome of people talking about it. I'm excited for the outcome of people normalizing it as much as it is to have a cold to say, I'm having an off day emotionally. I'm just really excited for that outcome. Me too. I love I love the full spectrum, right? Like I like the fact that 
you know, maybe I'm on a one, right, on your scale. I'm going to use your scale. So maybe I'm on a one and I go to the mentalhealthmatters.live and I say, I'm just going to do the box breathing today or I'm just going to take a, one of the meditation things. Maybe I'm at a four and I say, I think I'm going to do a telespiritual visit, right? I'm just going to talk to somebody who can make me feel a little bit better and have a conversation. But I don't think I really need a therapy session. But then I'm on the full spectrum, right? And I actually want a one-to-one therapy session. It's all there. I mean, I'm just, it's amazing to me that because I might feel differently on Monday than I do on mm-hmm. Friday. I might feel differently in June than I do in September, right? I think the fact that you have all these resources is so wonderful. I think it's so well-rounded. And I think exactly like it is on the scale because when you start to do the scale frequently, your brain starts to pick up on it and your brain starts to match it. So the, the more you start to pair with, you know, I am at a two or three, I'm just going to do some box breathing. The next time you're at a two or three, your brain remembers that. So your brain starts to go to that a lot faster. And that's really the point of it all, too, is just to make sure that there are so many different levels of anxiety, of depression, of stress. And it's all about matching what you need at that time. You know, you mentioned kind of that many people equate it to a moment in time, right? Like I have a a big event coming up and that's why I'm stressed. So let's kind of take back what you were just saying. How do we really get people to understand that this it's not necessarily like a long-term thing that you're going to deal with, but it, it is something that you have to think about for, for most of your life. I mean, whether you're healthy or not healthy, right? You always should be thinking about, am I eating the right foods? Am I working out? Am I getting enough sleep? We always should be working on our mental health as well. So how do you kind of get people to take this as something that they should do today today? They should think about day to day. I think that the best way to think about that too, is that if you don't, things start to stack up and if things start to stack up, your body and your mind will try to find maladaptive ways to cope with it. And that's what you know sometimes happens with substance use or eating disorders. And a lot of times it, it starts to come out sideways. I always compare it to, you know, if you light your fireplace and you close all the vents, all the windows, all the doors, you know, the smoke is gonna find some way to come out. But if you go in there and you open up the door, if you open up the vents, you create your own outlet on how you handle the stress, then it comes out naturally, comes out in a more healthy way. And that's really the role that maladaptive coping skills play. It's that if we're avoiding it, we're suppressing it, we're not dealing with it, we, our, our brain is always trying to survive. So it's trying to help us cope, but it doesn't know what's healthy, what's not healthy sometimes. So it'll go to alcohol thinking, hey, this relieves me temporarily, not knowing the long-term impact of it. I uh, might be one of those people who turns to food, right? Oh, I don't need to deal with the stress. I'm just going to eat a cookie. (laughs) So what I hear you saying is I probably need to address that. I appreciate it. Um, I know we don't have a lot more time with you, but I want to get through a couple quick things, which is I know we asked you to kind of talk a little bit about the AAPI community, but that's a really large community, right? There's dozens of different Asian American communities. And how, how do we, I don't want to lump everybody together, but how do we really focus in on what were, what would be the key takeaways if I am in the AAPI community and I'm listening to this, what do you want me to know? I think the the biggest thing I would want you to know is that you don't have to choose, you know, you don't have to choose between family and mental health services. And I, there is this, um, this term in therapy where it's about togetherness and individuation so that you can be in a group with people. You can love them. You can belong with them. And at the same time, you can also take a step back and make decisions for you, knowing how it could positively impact the group as well. And I think the biggest thing is you don't have to choose. You know, you can have both. You can still have the family values and you can still honor your family and you can still make sure um, 
you talk to them, make sure that they're comfortable with it. I think what you do for yourself will also strengthen your family because your family loves you. Your family just wants you to get better and your family wants you to be healthy. So by you taking care of yourself, you will create that family happiness within that too. And I think it's all interconnected. And I think sometimes people get stuck because they think, well, if I choose mental health, it means something's wrong with me. And what does that, what does that say for me and my family? I think it's all interconnected that it doesn't say anything about you or your family. I think just like a broken leg, this is what we're going to do for treatment. It's A, B, and C, and you can have both. So I think that's the biggest takeaway is you don't have to choose. I love it. What about your your fellow caregivers, right? So say I'm, I'm worried about a fellow caregiver of mine. I mean, I certainly can just ask the question, are you okay today? Is there anything I, as a non-AAPI person, should think about before I approach somebody in within the community to, to have that conversation? Or do I just say, how are you today? You could say, I think there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. You can say, how are you today? Um, it depends on how close you are to that person, too. You, you can ask about their perspective on, you know, how they're feeling and, and with everything that's going on with the pandemic, with all the, the hate crimes, you can ask how they're feeling. I think very similar to what we talked about earlier is each person, we have our own experiences. And I think as long as another person wants to get to know that and understand that, that makes a world of a difference. So last, last thing I'm going to ask you, do you have any quick tips for people for just how do I get through today? So we, the best thing to do is break it down to smaller pieces. I think part of it is we're looking at how do we get through this month, this year, this week. Sometimes it's too big. If you need to break it down to how do I get through the next 10 minutes? What do I need to do to get through the next 30 minutes? What about the next hour? I think if you're having a really hard time, break it down even smaller. You know, do you need to take a step outside? Do you need a drink of water? Do you need some breathing exercises? How do you get through the next 20 minutes? And the more you break it down, the more you see that they add up and you've gotten through most of your day already. Oh, I love that. I'm, I'm always one of those every day is a 24 hours and today maybe sucked, but tomorrow's a whole fresh 24 hours. I like, maybe I should be thinking of this morning sucked, but this afternoon's a whole new afternoon. Exactly. Maybe the first, the first 10 hours sucked, but you still have time in the day. I love it. I absolutely love it. This has been great. Do you, are there any other parting thoughts or any little nuggets of wisdom you want to share with people? I think that's it. I think a big part is, um, you know, therapy is not as scary as it seems. Everyone gets nervous um, every single time we have an initial session. But I think going through the screening process, going through the educational videos, I think going through even talking to a therapist, a clinician, it's not as scary as it seems. So I think just if you can get through the beginning of it and you can start to build that rapport and trust with somebody and you start to learn the skills and tools, it makes a world of a difference. Well, I'm pretty sure everybody's going to be lining up just to talk to you, Anna, but <laughs> I know you have limited time, but we'll figure it out. Um, I wanted to thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and everybody for listening on My Mental Health Matters. We look forward to continuing the conversation about mental health and with more of our behavioral health experts from Providence in our future episodes. Be sure to follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health System. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. And make sure to listen to all our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio for, or on your favorite podcast platform. And if you are a caregiver of Providence or any of our affiliate partners, please do visit mymentalhealthmatters.live. 
for a list of resources available to you. If you need help, you are not alone. Thanks for listening and be healthy. 